Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Dr. Georgi Popov. He's a professor at the University of Central Missouri, uh, holds a PhD uh, from the National Scientific Board of Bulgaria, as well as a master's in nuclear physics uh, from Defense University in Bulgaria. So, Georgi, uh, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you uh, with me uh, as your professor in safety sciences. I'd like to, to start out with you maybe sharing a little bit about your story and how you got started into safety and your passion around safety. Well, uh, thank you, and uh, thank you for your invitation. So, like you said earlier, I graduated from the Defense University in Bulgaria with a master's degree in nuclear physics way back in 1991. And that tells you how old I am. <laughs> uh, so Aren't the we next all? year, I was <laughs> selected to go to Cambodia and uh, serve as United Nations Environmental Health and Safety uh, Officer. It was one of the longest and most successful missions of uh, the United Nations. Um, so in these days, we call it uh, EHS uh, for short, instead of environmental health and safety. So we'll go with that uh, for the next couple of minutes. So mm -hmm. I worked with uh, many different officers uh, from different countries there, addressing variety of risks. And you can start with heat stress, think of 110 degrees Fahrenheit or almost 44 degrees Celsius and 100% uh, relative humidity. Uh, think of contaminated water with biological and chemical contaminants, and not to mention the variety of uh, safety issues. Then uh, two years later, I ended up working for a Defense Research Institute in Bulgaria, where we had to develop a variety of protective clothing, uh, respiratory protection, you name it. And uh, at that time, I started working on a NATO project, so I had to go to Brussels a couple of times to work with uh, other nations on uh, respiratory protection. So that uh, was very interesting time and uh, during that time I started working on my PhD uh, in chemistry and I successfully defended my uh, dissertation in January 2000. Then uh, the very next month uh, I won a competition to attend the Command and General Staff College here at uh, Fort Leavenworth. And while I was studying here at the Command Staff and General uh, Command and General Staff College, we discussed uh, many different uh, safety issues, including uh, risk management. Uh, and we have used the Army Techniques uh, publications, 519 to be more precise, 
Uh, we have also used the military standard 882, which is widely used in uh, the safety field, even to this day. Uh, at that time, there was no international risk management uh, mm -hmm. standard. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, OSHA was not uh, very well covered in uh, my courses. Sure. But um, as you can imagine, as a chemical officer, uh, you have to think two levels up. So um, that's what they tell you, whatever your purpose is or whatever your project or operation is, you have to think two levels up. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in 2001, I was before 9-11, we were downsizing the armies and uh, um, I had to find work in a private company and I uh, found a very interesting position with uh, an environmental company here in Kansas City area. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, in that company, I learned the importance of uh, the business case for safety. And the very next uh, couple of years later, uh, University of Central Missouri needed uh, somebody on an emergency basis. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, uh, I agreed to uh, do that for one year and here it is, 16 <laughs> years later, I'm uh, the interim chair of uh, the safety sciences uh, programs at the University of Central Missouri now. Excellent. Well, well, thank you, Georgie. Uh, so, so tell me, you, t you touched a little bit on the business case for safety. Uh, tell you, tell me a little bit more about why organizations need one, and and also more specifically for more mature organizations, organizations that have done well already in safety and looking at at looking at the next level of performance. Well, that that's a very interesting uh, question, and. Uh, let me ask you that. How many times you had to go and you and ask your upper level managers for half a million dollars to invest in safety? And, uh, you know, what kind of an answer you'll get? Uh, I'm sure many of you have uh, done that. Uh, and uh, some of you had to ask for five million or even 50 million dollars for uh, sure. bigger projects. But... Uh, while I was working for the environmental uh, remediation uh, company, um, at that time I was early career, what we call now occupational safety and health and environmental professional. And I was thinking, okay, well, that should be easy to justify such investments, mm -hmm. right? It's safety after right. all. So, you know, I did... Uh, by the book job hazard analysis, uh, I identified probably 70, 80% of the hazards, not this hazards that was at that time mm -hmm. associated with uh, that project. And I was so proud, you know, uh, as we all know, job hazard analysis or job safety analysis are not uh, that difficult. Mm -hmm. You identify the hazards, you identify the potential consequences, you identify one, control measure and sure enough uh, that control measure was to put everyone in uh, personal protective equipment right yeah. that should be enough <laughs> so next 
thing to do is to go and tell your manager, consider one level up from my position, that uh, see, I have identified all these hazards uh, in the uh, day. That's what I mm -hmm. said back then. They will have to invest uh, the money to fix the issues. So we're in compliance with uh, OSHA regulations. Well, you can't imagine how wrong uh, I was. So my manager told me, well, sure, go and explain that to uh, the CEO. And, you know, that's a mid-sized company. We knew each other. Uh, so most of the OSH or BHS professionals have at some point in their career uh, handed upper level management a list of hazards or compliance issues that uh, were found in an audit. Mm -hmm. And um, in response, it is very likely that the upper level management uh, handed that list back uh, to them and said, so what does that mean? And that was my exact ex experience. So I had to explain to my CEO uh, that, uh, you know, hey, if we don't uh, address all the issues, uh, there is a possibility that uh, the company will be inspected by OSHA and find a few thousand dollars for each violation. And I also listed the regulations that may have been violated. Sure. Like you start with 29 CFR 1910 134, the respiratory protection says we need to do this and that. So he told me, why don't you go back to your office and work on a risk assessment uh, spreadsheet, uh, work on a business case, mm -hmm. and then present the findings to me. So uh, he also said, uh, by the way, prepare full cost-benefit analysis right. uh, for me. So uh, there was actually an accountant uh, during that meeting and uh, the accountant actually told me, no, 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 you prepare benefit cost analysis. The benefits come first for <laughs> the accountants. Right. So my uh, manager probably knew what was going to happen when I tried to speak the compliance language in sure. the CEO's uh, office. So, lessons learned for me so i realized i had to learn different language and that's not because of my accent uh, i went <laughs> back to my office uh, i found uh, a very interesting uh, osha presentation that was titled uh, business case for safety it, mm -hmm. it was published uh, actually and made available in 2004 and there it was in that presentation i found the answer why the compliance is not the way to ask uh, for right. investments in ehs initiatives um, very quickly i had to learn the business language and i have never done cost benefit analysis before mm -hmm. uh, i have never done ehs risk assessment sure. uh, before so uh, i quickly realized that in order to convince the ceo i needed to learn that new language mm -hmm. and if you ask me ehs professionals should be speaking in a language that upper 
level management commonly yeah. uses. In, in this case, that is risk reduction, dollars, uh, non-financial benefits. So after you address all that, uh, it's more likely it will be better accepted than the compliance language that I tried at first. Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, even the financial analysis was not uh, sufficient. So when I completed, mm -hmm. uh, that's what it was back then, cost-benefit analysis, I found out that uh, we had to invest about $100,000 in order to avoid $7,000 OSHA fine. Right. So I discussed the findings with my manager and he was smiling and told me, well, <laughs> good luck convincing the CEO with these numbers. Um, so I added the component of non-financial benefits, the mm -hmm. personnel risk, the operational risk, the financial risk, the strategic risk for the company. So uh, I did my homework and next time I presented the case to the CEO, mm. I had a benefit cost analysis, uh, notice that, and uh, the risk assessment uh, completed. Um, he looked at the numbers and said, well, why didn't you tell me that the last time <laughs> we had that discussion? You know, that, now I can understand it. Mm. And, you know, I have to admit it wasn't a perfect risk assessment. It wasn't perfect benefit cost analysis, but uh, it worked. And uh, I actually had to use back then very simple qualitative uh, risk assessment right. uh, process, something very similar to what I was, uh, I have seen in the military. Uh, and actually the interesting thing was the risk assessment matrix that uh, I converted from the military standards was very similar to the one that is required by U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Hmm. So uh, the next time we had to bid uh, a Corps of Engineers a project, uh, the CEO told me, now you go and do the risk assessments and you do the benefit cost analysis. And uh, it turned out that uh, that risk assessment is required for any Corps of Engineers uh, project, they actually call it uh, activity hazard analysis, but includes the qualitative risk assessment matrix. And uh, sure enough, you have to justify the financial mm -hmm. component of uh, any uh, project. Now, that was before 2009. Um, and the reason I mentioned that year it, it is very important uh, for me personally because in 2009, ISO mm -hmm. published uh, the first risk management uh, standard. And with that standard uh, comes uh, another companion, if you will, ISO 31010. Mm -hmm. And in that standard, uh, you will find a cost-benefit uh, analysis example now, notice they do call it cost-benefit analysis, but our accountants uh, like the benefit <laughs> to be first. Yes, <laughs> indeed. So, so it's interesting because I, I love what you mentioned about speaking the language of business. I think that's something that's often missed 
um, and, and speaking the language of, of regulatory versus uh, the language or compliance towards something that other leaders can, can connect. So I think a big component is what you talk about in terms of the business case for change, but it's also how, as safety leaders, we connect with different executives. Would you agree? Uh, yes, so <laughs> absolutely. That, that's, that's a very interesting observation. And, uh, you know, we have to do something what we uh, call, you know, consider your audience. Right. So when you talk to line employees, uh, we have to use different language. When we talk to the CEO, we have to use uh, different language. And I, I had a very interesting discussion with uh, one of our uh, local section uh, safety professionals. Mm -hmm. And uh, they told me, well, you know, we think that they should send uh, all the CEOs and the business leaders back to school so they can take business uh, safety classes. Uh, sure. And <laughs> I, I went to ask our business schools, uh, you know, how many safety classes do you guys take? And I said, uh, zero. But if that makes you feel better, we'll multiply it times two <laughs> next year for you. Right. So that's, uh, that's how it worked. But uh, I would encourage early career professionals to become familiar with uh, the risk assessment methods and the business case uh, mm -hmm. development methodologies. Uh, notice how I mentioned the job hazard analysis right. uh, before. Uh, job hazard analysis is very widely used, but it's not uh, considered uh, a risk assessment method. Mm -hmm. And in the latest prevention through design standard, which if we have time, we'll talk about that later, uh, we actually converted uh, the job hazard analysis to job risk assessment uh, method. Because the original form of job hazard analysis, it only includes hazards and consequences in simple control measures. It doesn't include the likelihood and risk level. And that is what I did not include in my first conversation with uh, the CEO. Needless to say, he looked at that <laughs> job hazard analysis form and said, well, it's very unlikely to happen. So he uh, told me to use uh, simple color coding. They like uh, traffic light yep. color coding, uh, uh, green is good, yellow not so good, red don't even go there. So when I started developing this risk assessment tools, uh, he invited me to upper level uh, decision making meetings. Mm -hmm. And there I was not only thinking two levels up, but I was also talking to uh, the decision makers. And uh, to be honest with you that uh, uh, business case for safety OSHA presentation that was uh, published way back when in 2004 can teach us uh, the different terminology that is uh, used in uh, the decision-making uh, process. And uh, also one of the conclusions was the, that uh, uh, safety should not be considered a cost should be considered uh, uh, an investment. Mm -hmm. So I wish I had an effective uh, risk assessment and business management uh, education. Uh, 
uh, I had to learn all that the hard way. Mm -hmm. But to this day, I don't have an MBA degree. However, um, I took a couple of continuous education courses and you learn quickly. So the business case development methodology was not in the EHS textbooks uh, back sure. then. In fact, uh, even to this day, 95% uh, of the safety textbooks uh, are hazard-based and compliance-based. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I told you, the compliance uh, didn't work for me. Um, think about that uh, CEO uh, question. Why would I invest $100,000 to avoid $7,000 right. uh, OSHA fine? Well, not to mention that uh, I was told that we have good lawyers uh, and, you know, oh dear. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably that $7,000 uh, OSHA fine will be negotiated down to around $1,000. Right. So, um, probably, let me share my experience yeah. with a couple of business yes, cases. Yes, that would be good. Uh, so um, I have done uh, many business case development uh, projects uh, now. And uh, some of you probably remember that uh, we used uh, to consolidate trash in big black plastic bags. And then we take it uh, to the driveway and uh, uh, then uh, the waste collection company comes in and uh, they have to lift the heavy black plastic right. bags in some cases in some counties they had different colors and uh, that of course uh, leads to um, ergonomics uh, type problems uh, and uh, one of the waste collection companies wanted to reduce the ergonomic disorders and automate uh, the process so think of the automated waste collection trucks that we have now. Mm. Um, that required significant investment, about four and a half million dollars, sure. yeah. I think uh, was the figure at that time for uh, the company. So I had to estimate their risk reduction uh, percentage uh, to calculate net present value, internal rate of return, mm -hmm. Uh, payback period and uh, many other uh, variables and net present value was positive uh, internal rate of return was amazing uh, the problem was the payback period was uh, four four and a half years right so the ceo didn't like that so i was puzzled i said well look at the net present value look at the internal <laughs> rate of return well, uh, here it is, homework again. Uh, it turned out the average job expectancy for a U.S. Uh, CEO is, uh, what do you think? It's two and a half years. <laughs> so now I know what they were thinking. You know, right. Why would I invest all that money to make my successor look good while I look like the CEO who spent all that money? Right. 
And uh, later on, uh, I worked on many different cases. Uh, I should mention probably welding was uh, one of them where, uh, again, we had to calculate uh, net present value and internal rate of return and the payback period. So lessons learned, I actually gave them a couple of different uh, options the next time, not mm. just one because they, uh, believe it or not, uh, decision makers like uh, options. They want to see, right. you know, the different uh, variables uh, there. And uh, you can start with, uh, and I show them, well, if we do uh, personal protective equipment for uh, the welding operators, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to cost us that much money, but it's uh, every year you have to continue to invest in personal protective equipment and uh, respiratory protection and uh, fit testing and uh, you name it. So that net present value didn't look great, uh, you can imagine. Sure. So the next option was uh, we'll put a better ventilation system um, that created uh, different uh, problems. Um, again, that looked uh, much better. The payback period uh, was uh, close to the two and a half years. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the problem was uh, that the better ventilation actually took uh, the fumes away from uh, the welded uh, materials and uh, the weld quality was not uh, that great. So uh, the operations manager uh, didn't like that. So I gave them a, a third option. Why don't you do complete uh, enclosure and uh, use uh, welding robots? Mm -hmm. And they looked at me and I said, well, who can afford that? That's a couple of million dollars. But when we ran the numbers, uh, it turned out that was the most uh, financially beneficial option mm. and uh, actually the risk reduction was greater because there is no exposure to uh, sure. the welding right. uh, operator. Then I did uh, auto parts uh, spray painting uh, uh, but uh, one thing that I can uh, remember very well is uh, a coal mine case, uh, business case study in Colombia, and that's uh, Colombia in South America. You know, when I uh, told uh, our faculty members who would like to work on that, and that said, oh, sure, we'll go to Colombia tomorrow. And uh, that's not Colombia, Missouri. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I told them it's uh, in a different country. But uh, I worked with uh, a very knowledgeable uh, individual in uh, Colombia, uh, he's a CEO of uh, a consulting uh, company, and we uh, developed a, a very interesting uh, business case study where um, we, and uh, luckily he had an MBA, so uh, I was lucky to work with him. So we developed all these uh, financial um, calculations. We ran different uh, analysis, but uh, at the end of the day, they found out that it's uh, more 
beneficial even financially to uh, install um, an engineering uh, control which is uh, a ventilation system for each of the dozers that's uh, an open pit mm -hmm. uh, coal mine in uh, Colombia and think about 146 dozers a couple of thousand dollars for each one of them uh, all of a sudden you're talking about uh, real money but uh, it turned out that uh, they uh, improved uh, productivity because the dozer operators do not need uh, respiratory protection uh, anymore. In addition to that, uh, it turned out that uh, that ventilation system mm -hmm. actually reduces uh, the noise. So uh, added uh, benefits. Sure. Um, we uh, liked that project uh, and we developed a poster, presented that poster at uh, an American industrial hygiene uh, conference uh, and uh, it actually won um, AHA award and um, I'm currently working with AHA and uh, NIOSH to develop interactive business case uh, tool uh, and after beta testing phase will make it available uh, free of charge. It's coming That's good. very soon. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. So um, I think these are the really great illustrations of uh, the use of a business case and, and maybe even how it could inform different options, different um, different different scenarios that, that an organization could look at. I, I love how you're you're talking about the the way to connect to the account, to the CEO, to the C-suite in general. But let's talk maybe about some more mature organizations, because I've come across organizations, obviously, that essentially, like you mentioned it before, see safety as an investment. They, they don't necessarily look at it as um, something I need to do a, a return on investment. They may be more willing to accept uh, a later payback period and so forth. So can you maybe share some examples of how you've seen that show up in, in organizations that are more mature and really bought into safety? Well, uh, I was really impressed with um, Alcoa. Uh, yeah, of course. Sustainability report. Uh, uh, I had listened to some of your uh, podcasts and uh, that was mentioned a uh, number mm -hmm. of times. And uh, of course, you uh, hear about uh, their sustainability right. reporting uh, matrix. But uh, if you look at that report, uh, safety is front and center and left mm -hmm. and right. And uh, for more mature organizations, we have to consider uh, something that uh, is called enterprise risk management. Sure. So they, they will consider uh, occupational uh, hazards and risks, the operational hazards and risks financial risks 
in uh, the strategic uh, risk. Mm -hmm. So when you think about uh, more mature organizations from a tech uh, perspective, you see all of these uh, um, issues uh, in uh, the sustainability uh, reporting for uh, more mature organizations. And uh, of course, that's an amazing example, but they're not uh, the only yeah. ones. Many, many organizations will uh, consider the enterprise risk management uh, model mm -hmm. and think about safety. Where is safety in that uh, whole model? The, uh, is it in the hazard category? Is it uh, in op operational risk? Is it uh, financial risk? is at strategic risk and uh, when you picture the four quadrants of the enterprise risk management model if you insert safety right in the middle you will find that uh, that's where it belongs because it will affect the uh, hazard risks sure. the all insurable uh, risks it will affect operations if we don't have safe uh, uh, operation uh, picture that uh, open pit coal mine in uh, Colombia. Mm -hmm. They were able to improve uh, operational efficiency uh, by, I don't remember, 70%. Uh, they were uh, able to improve financial performance because you know, the, the more coal we produce, the more uh, profitable sure. we are. And, uh, the, Think about uh, for, from strategic perspective for the reputation of the company. Now everyone is talking, well, uh, the management made that uh, decision that uh, improved safety, reduced uh, risk. We don't have to use uh, respirators anymore. So uh, yes, I think uh, for more mature organizations, you have to consider that enterprise risk management model. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. And, and the, the the scenarios you shared is also that I, I think we had a Professor Steve Spear speak to that a couple of episodes back, that you end up investing in safety and it has a corollary benefits in all sorts of other areas. As you start eliminating ignorance, you start getting better at, at, at reducing hazards, your operation as a whole gets better, uh, which which is hard to, to necessarily demonstrate in a business case because those corollary benefits tend to show up from more of a cultural lens. Ah, absolutely. So and, uh, there's uh, more than one variable to consider. And, and if you think that uh, financial benefits uh, only is uh, the way mm -hmm. to go, uh, based on my experience, I can tell you in some cases, uh, non-financial benefits are also absolutely. important. So, so I, I want to make sure we spend a bit of time on a topic that you're very uh, passionate about is really this, the, the, and you spend a lot of effort uh, at developing the concept of prevention through design standards. Can you maybe touch on the importance of it and, and really uh, why organizations need to start thinking about prevention through design? Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about the updated version of uh, the prevention through design standard which was uh, published in September this year mm -hmm. uh, 2021. Uh, now uh, we have uh, occupational health and safety management system standards like ISO 45001, right. NCZ 10 
they provide big picture management system implementation uh, process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing uh, standards. However, the prevention through design is a more uh, specific implementation standard. It is based on uh, risk assessment, risk management principles and the hierarchy of risk treatment. Uh, it used to be hierarchy of controls, but uh, I, we all agreed that uh, if you avoid the risk early in the design sure. uh, stage, you don't have to control it. <laughs> That's why uh, it's more aligned with ISO 31000, uh, where uh, it is called risk treatment. And uh, now that's why we call it the uh, hierarchy of risk treatment. And our profession is uh, changing. Mm -hmm. We used to be a separate uh, safety function, a separate industrial hygiene function. We used to have uh, environmental engineers. That's kind of the silo approach, don't you think? Uh, and now when you blend everything together, today's uh, employers want us to do all of the above. Uh, and that's why EHS, environmental health and safety, or occupational safety and health and environmental and many different variations. And you start adding uh, Lean Six Sigma to it and uh, yep. even business knowledge uh, these days. So with that standard, uh, we actually wanted to provide uh, guidance on including uh, prevention through design uh, concepts within an occupational safety and health management uh, system. Uh, and with the application of this uh, concept, uh, we have to make uh, decisions uh, pertaining to occupational hazards and risks and they have to be incorporated into the process of design and redesign of uh, tools, mm -hmm. equipment, machinery, substances, uh, work processes, uh, you name it. In a way, we cannot apply that silo approach anymore. We have to work with uh, engineers. We have to work with accountants mm -hmm. because uh, for quite a bit of the prevention through design initiatives, we're going to need uh, significant help with uh, financial justifications. Um, we have to educate the CEO uh, how investing early in the design sure. phase will save us quite a bit of money uh, later on. And this standard actually provides guidance for a life cycle assessment and uh, it's a design model that balances the notice environmental and occupational safety and health goals over the lifespan of a facility process or a product. And uh, this standard actually complements uh, but does not uh, replace the performance objectives mm -hmm. uh, for existing or other uh, more specific standards and uh, procedures. And with this standard, we have uh, actually a uh, number of goals. And the first one is to achieve acceptable risk level. Sure. So what's acceptable for one organization may not be acceptable for another. Uh, we also want to prevent, notice that, prevent 
or reduce occupationally uh, related injuries and illnesses and uh, fatalities. And we want to reduce the cost of uh, retrofitting uh, because retrofitting is always more expensive than uh, doing it right. The first time. The first yes. Time. And uh, one of the important uh, uh, things to mention for this standard is uh, the terminology. So we have to learn to use uh, prevention rather than mitigation. And you will see in many standards uh, that, uh, and in many textbooks, these two terms are used interchangeably. However, when you start digging into the terminology, you will find out that uh, prevention is before the event had occurred, undesirable event, whether that's injury or illness or let's hope uh, we don't have to mention fatalities, mm -hmm. but we want to prevent that from happening. And uh, if any of these happen, uh, then we can mitigate, but uh, mitigation is never as effective as uh, prevention. So uh, in a way, this standard encourages us to become more involved in the design process uh, and apply higher levels of uh, controls especially avoidance, elimination, uh, reduction, or control of uh, occupational uh, safety and health hazards and risk. And we have to do that early mm -hmm. in the design and uh, redesign uh, process. Mm -hmm. and, and to our earlier conversation really around getting executive buy-in, um, how have you seen organizations communicate and sell the importance of, of doing prevention of the front end from a design standpoint, which is critically important? Well, that, that's a very interesting topic to uh, discuss. And uh, I wish we had whole eight hours <laughs> to discuss that, but <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, so we actually included uh, one specific tool that we think it's uh, really important uh, that we can use for communication with upper level managers mm -hmm. and that is the uh, striped bow tie analysis so in a way you start with uh, the hazards you start with the preventive measures and then you have the top event and if that happens that undesirable top event then we have event three analysis on the other side of the bow tie with uh, mitigation mm -hmm. measures and the consequences so uh, once you put that in a visual format, uh, upper level managers understand sure. that. They can see the hazard, they can see the consequences, what might happen. And do we have sufficient preventive measures? And, uh, and then you can explain, you can invest your money here upfront in the prevention side, or you can spend a lot more uh, on the mitigation side. And that uh, actually is a very good uh, risk communication tool. Uh, my personal uh, opinion and my personal experience is that uh, they do understand that. And uh, even if you look at uh, some of the uh, 
COSO guidelines mm-hmm. and uh, some of their publications, you will notice that uh, they do understand uh, risk matrix and uh, the color coding I mentioned earlier. And when you include that and incorporate that into a bow tie, which was uh, actually one of the methods they mentioned in uh, 2012 publication, uh, it was uh, it's an eye-opening for a lot of the upper-level managers. Right. Well, uh, Georgia, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing uh, about uh, really the need to communicate to executives in a language that they understand, uh, talking about business cases, IRR, and uh, all of the net present value, et cetera, all, all language of, that of, of finance, which is so critical and important, but also touching on this important topic of prevention through design. So uh, thank you for the work you're doing in safety, and thank you for joining the show. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.